0: Hello everybody and welcome to the 64th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that can't wait to complain about all the cards that aren't iconic in Nostalgia Masters. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation.
1: A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. -games Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling
0: a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, as always, a... a at MTG Critic on twitter my co-host is travis allen aka at wizard bumpin and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering
1: good evening everybody glad to uh glad to be here all sorts of interesting stuff to discuss this week our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community sign up today mtgprice.com to manage your collection track your specs and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby
0: all right travis what's on the agenda this week
1: Well, James, this week we have a show in three segments. Segment one will be our top movers, where we'll look at the cards that have seen the largest price gains over the last week. Segment two is our cards to watch. James and I will talk about some of the cards we've got our eyes on as potential gainers. And segment three is our topic of the week. This week we're going to be discussing Iconic Masters, the uh, extremely well-named (laughs) master set that has um kind of leaked yesterday and officially confirmed for later this year Uh, so we'll dig into that in a few minutes but excuse me we're gonna start right here on our top movers uh james you want to start us out
0: Sure thing. We've got uh, Wheel of Fate <clears throat> foils. This is the uh, suspend-based version of Wheel of Fortune, moving from 27 or so to almost $50 for about a $20 increase, or about 80%, mostly on the back of uh, idle speculation around things like As Foretold, um, Ancestral Vision, and Restore Balance, turning into some kind of brew in modern at some point now. Uh There's absolutely no evidence that any of this will ever gel and come together, uh, but it doesn't stop people from draining down on what is already relatively low inventory from a card that hasn't been printed in foil in quite some time.
1: Right. And yeah, that was I just want to point out it is a foil that we're talking about here. Um, But, you know, I've had my eyes on this card for a very long time, and I can say that uh, the foils have been low supply for quite a while. So this is there was probably only three or four foil copies left uh, on the market, I think. Um, so it's not a surprise that that this has <clears throat> jumped. So uh, okay, next on our list is Glory Br- Bringer. Um, this is a new one from Amon Cat. This is the dragon that's actually a game day promo. So it's five mana, four four flyer haste, and if you exert it, uh, it Flame Concave seals four damage to a creature or a player. Um, so this opens the line of say dropping it. Uh, your opponent plays Gideon, passes the turn. You untap, cast Glory Bringer. Uh, yeah, cast Glory Bringer. Deal immediately, swing at Gideon with that as a four-four, and exert it to do the four damage to the Gideon, Gideon token. Um, so a really good Gideon counter. Uh, also plays really well with some of the other stuff that showed up in the set. My guess is that people, when they saw the card because uh, it was like the one of the first cards spoiled, weren't sure how to evaluate it, and then they realized that. Glorybringer bringer is basically the best exert spell in almond cat, um, which is why, uh, why it's kind of moving up a little bit as people start picking up their personal play sets. Uh, I don't love buying these quite yet, although it may end up being a pretty good, a pretty big part of standard. Um, but you know, paying two, fifty, dollars $3, $4, because oh yeah, what it went from two to four this week, paying $4 for a completely untested standard rare is not a wise idea. Now, this is where something that James loves to talk about uh, time and time again comes in. If you are actually testing If you're sitting down and running some games with this and getting a feel for how it's going to land in standard, then it's a whole other ball game because then you have some real information to go on. Now, $4 to me is still kind of a pricey buy-in. You look at Walking Ballista, which basically took over standard. Um, and the price on that was still only about $11. So $4 is kind of a rough buy-in if that's kind of a realistic ceiling. But if we see this slip back down to, you know, a dollar, a dollar 50, um, and you know that it's going to be good, then uh, I would feel a lot more confident at that point in making uh, a purchase.
0: The problem with all standard specs right now is that if we don't know uh, which cards, if any, are going to be targeted in the next round of bannings, um, I would at least expect that Felidar Guardian is gone, um, just to shake things up. Uh, the question is whether that also means things like Walking Ballista and Gideon, which have been dominant, are in jeopardy, or... Um, it's hard to say how much of a shakeup they're going to aim for, given how poorly standard has been doing lately. Um, If I was them, I would, I would just go for it and knock three or four cards off the table so that uh, all the fresh brews would be exciting by the time we got to the pro tour, but they could go the other way and just do the modest thing. Get rid of Felidar guardian that I don't think anybody would really complain about at this point. Um, uh, Because, you know, a lot of the pros have been saying that they've been testing heavily um, and they can't beat that deck. So a lot of these cards mean nothing if that deck is still going to be in the format. But if Saheeli's gone, then it really opens the door for a card like Glorybringer, which is basically a flying, hasty, flame tongue cavu. And if you're old enough to have played that card back in the day, you know how dangerous that thing was on the table. Um, and there's all sorts of weird little combos you can do with Glorybringer too. to the point where I intended to buy these when they were 2. At 4, I hate it, um, because getting from 4 to something that uh, means I make any money is... Just as lame as getting from two to four would have been, um, getting if you can get from two to ten plus, like walk, you did with Walking Ballista when Travis called it like a dollar fifty, um, then that's a whole different story. Um, but the number of cards that that, that is feasible uh, for is extremely low, and in recent times has tended to be uh, either multicasting costs like flex cast artifacts or artifacts that cost two on the dot and fly through the air with ridiculous benefit.
1: yeah uh i don't disagree with with any that we're kind of in the same boat on this one um okay so what do you got next for us
0: uh so foils of hakori dust drinker which is basically a tutu flying winter warp on a stick um moved from 20 to 40 this is just low supply of a super ancient foil um nothing to see here if you've got one stashed away by all means sell it you don't need it for anything Um, And if you can unload it on somebody or trade it out, uh, fantastic.
1: Yep. And the other thing to keep in mind is that this is reasonably reprintable, just about anywhere that any, um, I should say, supplementary product uh, where they're not tied to flavor This is uh, is reprintable. There's no it's not keyworded or anything like that. So um, and I'm sure the foils are this expensive only because there's so few left and it's taken so long to get here that, you know, if this shows up in, say, iconic masters, uh, the price would would be crushed. So I don't want to be hanging on to these.
0: Yeah. Tanked.
1: Um, So the next one, uh, another card from Cat. And uh, I'm pretty sure I know what the deal is here. We're looking at Drakehaven, the non-foils. Jumped from like one and a quarter to just under $4. Uh, so not a huge gain, kind of similar to what we saw with Glorybringer. As best as I can tell, this is just another instance of people realize the card is good. Like, oh, <laughs> this card is good. Um, it's probably the best cycling payoff in uh, in Amonkut. Um Making two twos is, is really good. The only one that's even close to this, I'd say, is... Uh, The black one that drains too, um, but you know, a 2-2 Drake is generally better than that. Uh, And blue is in a really good uh, cycling color this time around, especially with that Um, Sphinx. It's got a one mana cycle. So now you're paying three mana to make a 2-2 draw card. Um, Seems very good to me. So, another one of just people picking up their personal play sets because i think this is going to matter in standard another card just like glory bringer that could end up being a major part of standard but until we see a lot of shakeups uh you know from the banlist update on monday i'm not eager to put any money towards it yet
0: the key with a lot of these cards out of amonkhet is that they have cross block synergy from the fact that they're not just triggering off cycling um, they're triggering off cycling or discard and there are far far more options um, in multiple formats when you're considering both cycling and discarding taking place um, the and if you played with lightning Lightning rift you know that card was ridiculously broken uh, especially in limited and uh, did very well in the standard format where it was present um, this is basically one more mana to get a 2-2 shock that flies and permanently does damage instead of doing damage one time. You lose the ability to clear threats off the board, but you gain the ability to have persistent damage flow. Um, that's a really, really good place to be um, at 3-mana for a uh, control deck that um, has other ways of managing the board and can slowly over time build up a drake army and then just overwhelm you. Uh, I, I have... Uh, a strong suspicion that there will be a Drake Haven deck, uh, and also that this card will make nobody any money. Because again, I bought in around a dollar twenty-five and got a few play sets, but I don't think I'm going to be doing anything more with them than trading them out at you know three dollars or four dollars when the deck makes a splash on camera at the Pro Tour. Um, and if it doesn't do any of that, then you're you, uh, hopefully you're going to enjoy playing it at your FNM because you're probably not going to get a better chance to get out.
1: No. Uh, yeah. Keep in mind that, um, you know, cards like this can see price increases, but it really, really has to move to actually make money on it. Um, And, you know, Standard has at any given time, like three rares that are worth more than five or six dollars. It's really um, shallow at this point. So you have to nail the best rare in Standard basically to be profitable. So it's just one of those things. Grab your play sets, personal play sets, and, uh, you know, maybe an extra one or two to trade away if it's a rare, if you hit it. But uh, generally not a lot of opportunity here to, to truly make any money.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent point. And people have been bitching about the financial opportunities in Modern um, because of Modern Masters 2017 reprints, but that's totally off base. It's Standard. That's a dead zone for MTG Finance right now. Modern's got plenty of opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can every now and then uh, spike Standard and do really well, but you have to have an excellent read on it. I, I have to tell you, I know uh, I, I know somebody that bought over $1,000 worth of Walking Blisses when they were like $1, $2. <laughs>
0: That is pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was spot on. So I was asking him this time what his pick is for <laughs> like what are, so what's uh what he got for me because he's a he's a an aspiring pro. So he's you know he cares right. He cares about how good they are in standard and he tests. Um, didn't give me anything great, unfortunately.
0: Well, and if, you're not uh, willing, if you're not willing to put in the time to test or you're not good enough to be able to tr- trust your testing results, or like me, you're a Johnny slash Timmy that will leap at every opportunity to do something silly and dirtle, then you really want to have a, a at least a few spike pr- aspiring pro grinder type friends so that they can reality check your specs and explain to you why they're stupid um, and help you latch onto the card that's actually going to make you some money.
1: Yeah, that's a fair way to put it. Um okay what's uh, what's next for us
0: So we got a whole bunch of hype around Vizier uh, of Remedies uh the uh white card that nullifies the application of -1 minus -1 one, minus one counters um that is coming out in Amanket and one of the cards that uh, has jumped as a result are the foils of Quill Spike. This is the 1-1 one, one for 3 that turns into a 4-4 four, four, or gets like plus 3 plus 3 um, until the end of the turn if you take a minus 1 minus 1 counter off of a creature for either green or black. It was printed in Eventide. Um, that's long enough ago that it doesn't take much for the foils to move. Um... Of all the cards that are going to interact, I think this is the least combo tastic uh, and least likely to show strong demand. So if you can get it, if you had some random foils of this sitting around and you can get out over ten, uh, by all means, do so.
1: Sure. yep. This is. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if there was anything left on the bone on this one for people, simply because it's been, um, you know, pretty low supply for a long time. The Necrotic Ooze combo that Conley Woods kind of made p- mainstream was years ago, uh, and they were pretty much all gone then, too. Um, okay, so next up is Crumbling Ashes. We talked about this last week. This is the foil copies instead of the non-foil. Uh, basically the same thing. Um, this is that enchantment that spreads minus one, minus one counters. Not a lot to see here. You know, got card Foil. There was no supply in the first place. Somebody bought four of them and relisted them at four times the price. Showing is having gone from four to fifteen, but you yeah, know, whatever. If you can sell it, good job. Yeah, prove it to me. <laughs> What's next?
0: All right. So Devoted Druid with vizier Remedies is the real deal. <laughs> the, the casting cost um, and cross synergies with other cards like Malira mean that there may, in fact, be uh, enough in some of the Abzan um, or Jund... Um, synergy combo builds and Modern that this actually becomes a thing. Um, so Devoted Druid uh, moving from, you know, a dollar or so up to about five makes perfect sense. Uh, I picked up a whole bunch of them locally at 50 cents, so I hope that they keep selling well. Um, and the whole deal here is that uh, Devoted Druid taps to make uh, uh, mana and it receives a minus one, minus one counter, right? Um, and so it basically kills itself um, after... Uh, it taps uh, twice. Yeah. So it taps for, it's a zero two for one and a green taps for a green. Um, uh, but if you put a p- minus one minus one counter on it, you can untap devoted druid. So you can get extra uses out of it. But typically if you haven't buffed it in some way um, and you try to do that uh, more than twice in a game, it dies. But what Vizier Remedies does is it basically nullifies each instance of the counter being applied, which means devoted druid makes infinite mana. Um, What you're going to use for that infinite mana is totally up to you. Um, Some of the more obvious options are things like um, walking ballista, killing people instantly, Um, and anything else you might want to dump a massive mana sink into. Um, And given that both cards cost just two, uh, it has some potential to combo off in modern.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, my first thought when I saw this was Genesis Wave because that's a deck that would be happy to make infinite mana and just heave a hum, you know just play out its hand and probably heave a genesis wave and insane genesis wave onto the table to kill people uh the <laughs> walking bliss to kill you is also a pretty good plan um there are a lot of infinite mana combos in standard but i don't think there are any with two cards each cost two mana that's really cost competitive uh So it's certainly it's certainly curious Um, what I'll really be paying attention to if I start to see this show up is what what pairs well with it, Um, because now the devoted druid is spiked. The money will be in the other card in the deck, you know, the one other good mythic type of thing. Um, So if you can catch that early, if this is good and if you catch that early, there could be some profit there. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of ifs in one sentence. Interesting. Though no, very interesting.
0: Well, I mean, part of this has has always been Anifenza Kintree spirit out of uh, Dragons of Tarkir, uh, working with Kitchen Finks and/or Malira. So I would, you know, foils of Anifenza have been on our radar in the past, and and may end up there again depending on what the composition of this deck looks like when somebody when one of the streamers inevitably starts uh, bringing it to the table. You know, look for somebody like a Conley Woods or a Todd. Uh, Stevens to start fielding uh, a deck based on this once the cards are live I will not at all be surprised to see something like this uh, on a stream in the first month of release
1: right for sure for sure definitely up there alley um, okay well next up is uh, oh man I left myself with one I'm not happy about here uh, insult to injury um, so this is another Amonkhet card there are a lot of those this week um, and it looks like this is showing up because of a brew that Frank Carson put together over on Channel Fireball. Uh, it's a its Monument combo. So as best as I can tell, this is the one where you basically... So if you remember Atog and Fling, which was feed your Atog a bunch of artifacts and then fling it at somebody for 20 damage. This appears to be pretty much that combo using Ravenous Intruder which um, has the Atog ability, sac, gain, plus two, plus two. Uh, fling is in Amonkhet. Uh And insult to injury, uh, so the front half of it is uh, damage can't be prevented. If the source you control would deal damage, it deals double instead. So in so you only have to get your creature to a 10-10 instead of a 20-20, insult it, and then fling it. Um, I'm not clear. I guess the Hazard's Monument just makes all of your Token creating creatures a little bit cheaper, so that seems to be where this is generating from. Is essentially a, a fling combo, uh, which you hear this and you go, "Huh, that's kind of cool. Maybe that's good enough for standard." And then you realize the Splinter Twin is legal in standard, and <laughs> oh, right, like okay, I guess it doesn't actually matter. But
0: well, I mean, that's just it, right? The Sahili High rye combo is almost certainly on the chopping block because of its dampening effect on the rest of the format. Um, and, and it's not because the combo is so good on its own and they can get to it so consistently. It's because that deck still wins games when it never finds the combo. Um, yeah. it, it can value people out. So the, I'm, I'm fairly certain Felidar Guardians get in the axe. Um, don't know about the rest, but, uh, I would certainly like for decks like this to be playable. Um, I love the idea of somebody flinging a, a, an Atog that's like a, a 910 or something at somebody and dealing double damage and killing them on turn five.
1: Yeah, it's really cool for sure. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not it'll it'll get there. It seems like a little bit of a stretch to me, but here is hoping. Uh, and that went from fifty cents to two fifty, so, so about a four hundred percent gain.
0: The other red card that insult uh, is interesting with is the one that has um, uh, the ability to give you a second attack phase because the front half of insult. Uh, damage can't be prevented and if the source would deal damage it deals double that damage instead so if you're getting two attack phases and they're both doing double damage you know you could knock them out of the game from 20 with the right combination of cards
1: yeah yeah that's true it's um, it's a powerful effect that we don't see in standard a lot of times it feels like the type of thing that could be a major part of standard or could completely fall apart Um, very meta dependent type of card I would contrast that with something like Walking Blissa, which is likely to be good in pretty much any standard format, or at least stand a much better chance.
0: So if I was to sum up our top movers this week, there's a whole lot of jank and a whole lot of uh, wishes and prayers. Now let's move on to our cards to watch and some cards that are extremely uh, solidified as, you know, bona fide as uh, proven uh, staples in their respective formats and who, who um, are
1: you kidding this is still reason. just still just jank and dreams and hope <laughs> wishes don't don't tell <laughs> our listeners any other story <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I mean, I'll let them judge for themselves. Then my first pick of the week is Traverse the Ulvenwald Foils, which I was surprised to see. I haven't mentioned in quite some time, um, given that they were uh, they came up in my research for my article that I launched today, the fourth in a four part series on making money in Modern in 2017. Um, and Traverse uh, showed up uh, as one of the like most recently released cards that has become a major staple in Modern in a hurry. That was very underestimated at first. Um, foils are still available in the ten dollar range, but but given the fact that this is a four of and death shadow where it does a reasonable impression of a demonic tour, um, given how easily that deck can assemble delirium, um, there's absolutely no reason to believe that these foils won't hit 20, especially given that the supply in the $10 range is extremely small and uh, looks set to explode up into the 15 to $20 range in the next couple of months at, at the outside.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's a really powerful effect. We, you know, we've, acknowledged it when it was printed um that it was definitely looked pretty good in modern uh we're only going to get more and more ways to trigger delirium in modern as time goes on so you know the 10 bucks is a little pricey but i can definitely see this climbing back up towards 20 especially when you look at stuff like collected brutality and that type of thing um i do like this as a, as a longer term a longer term shot
0: for sure I mean, I put it this way: there's seven copies listed in and around ten dollars, and then all the rest are fourteen plus. Oh wow! A couple handfuls later, a couple, handfuls, yeah, later, a couple handfuls later, you're at eighteen. Um, those are exactly the kind of situations you want to be buying into, and you know, I'll do do our listeners a favor and try to leave those ten dollars copies on the table mm-hmm. so they get the full benefit.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, they make money, and then they keep coming back to us. <laughs> uh, okay, so my first pick of the week is. Um, is aetherworks marvel so if you've been paying attention uh you'll notice that marvel's fallen out of the format pretty heavily at this point um you know vehicles and copycat have just sort of absorbed standard now having said that we have a Banless update on monday and i can't imagine that copycat doesn't go i think matt i think wizards let it go the first time even though they knew they had missed it because they just wanted to see how bad it would be you know it was it was safer to let it go and hope that it didn't take over than it was to just immediately ban it um and i guess it hasn't been as oppressive as it could have been but it's been pretty bad so i think they're going to take the opportunity to shake things up with that we could also see a ban in vehicles um it's hard to say whether Wizards decides that Vehicles is as good as it is because it's the only deck that can keep par with Copycat, or if they think it's ju- if it's genuinely broken itself as well. Um, so I expect they'll probably just do feller Guardian, but we could see Vehicles get axed as well, especially the other Gideon, uh, Gideon allies of Zendikar, because having that Gideon and the three-mountain Gideon in play, which were never supposed to be in Standard together, could get a pretty, pretty wonky um, with that new emblem. So and, and in any case... If we start seeing bands, especially um, vehicle, uh, not vehicles, especially copycat, which plays a lot of counters and stuff, um, that opens up, blows a hole in standard and gives us an opportunity to see another Aetherworks Marvel that come back into play. Now, Emmerichal is gone, so you can't spin into that anymore, but you do still have Ulamog. Um, we are getting a new um, Nicol Bolas in three months. So he's not in this set, but he will be coming. This set gave us second not second sunrise rise of the second sun i think it's called it's that white spell that costs 7 that if you cast it twice you win the game um, there are some tricks with that with aether marvel works like you can marvel into into second sun put it 7 from the bottom and then on your on the end of your opponent's turn then you untap before you draw, you Marvel a second time, you eat the first six cards with Marvel, and then the card you draw for the turn is the sun rise of the second sun, and then you just cast it from hand and win. The deck generated a lot of mana and a lot of energy, so it's not invisible. That's a stretch, but it is a little bit of extra juice if the deck needs it. Um, but in general, it's a combo deck that we've seen fade from standard. Aetherworks Marvel has plummeted in price down from 10 or 15 to like 253 bucks. Uh, and there could be a big opportunity for it to move back and keep in mind that it was in Kaladesh. That was last fall, which means this fall, it sticks around an entire whole year after this. It doesn't rotate until 2018 fall. So we're going to see, it's going to get that opportunity for that nice October bump being the old fall set. Um, so overall, I think there's, there's some good opportunity
0: in there. I'm a huge believer in Marvel. Uh, I have been for some time. The only thing I regret is that I bought copies at $8, um, and not $3 and uh sold them sold some of them in the 10 to 15 dollar range um for a minor profit um and i'm still holding a bunch that i'm hoping will i'll get a chance to exit um it's worth noting that four color Sahili marvel is about 11 percent of the online meta right now which is basically just Sahili rye with the uh, the works marvel uh jammed in there so that they can pull ulamogs off the top if they don't have the combo so it's like a double combo brew that that works well together um But your point stands that the Etherics Marvel engine, um, the number of energy-specific cards that support it, is strong enough that it doesn't really matter what other blocks we get, as long as there are high-end targets to replace the Eldrazi, Nickel Bolas, or whatever comes in Ixalan, or whatever down the road, um, that at any given point, this deck could just pop up on the scene. And the thing is, if Mardu Vehicles is faded out of the meta because of all the artifact hate that's been printed in Amonkhet, and we see, and if they get rid of Heart of Kiran, for instance, um, and really put vehicles on the back burner, then... It would leave the door open for decks like Etherworks Marvel and Metalwork Colossus to come back to the forefront if they don't think that they're going to have very many sideboard slots uh, devoted against them. And you could see an ebb and flow. And at some point, one of those decks could win a big tournament and you know spike a card like Marvel. The thing is that if Marvel was a rare three dollars, I don't think we'd be excited. But as a mythic at three dollars, that when it's played, it's played as the core of the deck. That's you know non negotiable, and it's always a four of that's as good an opportunity on a mythic and standard as I can think of right now.
1: Yeah. You're at, as a rare, this is never worth discussing, but yeah, I mean, those mythics, man, there's a big difference there. Yep. Uh, okay. What is your second card for the week?
0: So, uh, as I was going through my list of up-and-comers in Modern, um, the card that uh, I tripped over multiple times in doing research was Walking Ballista, which is playable in Standard, in Modern, in Legacy, in Vintage, um, mostly in Eldrazi-style brews. Uh, in Standard, it's basically in everything because it's so good in, uh, in a limited card pool. Um, but the, the reality here is the trend we've seen in overpowered cards that have been printed in the last few years has been pretty consistent it's colorless cards with flexible mana and or excellent abilities Um, and walking ballista has all of this in spades the the fact that it can come down any turn after turn two and have a scalable impact on the game the fact that it can target uh, with colorless damage both creatures and players um, and uh, that you can grow it as a mana sink um, not to mention the synergies it has by virtue of being an artifact and by virtue of interacting with plus one, plus one counters vis-a-vis things like hardened scales um, uh, or being a, you know, a mana sink for some of these infinite Abzan decks that might show up in modern now um, means that it, it is likely to have a home far beyond standard. And I think that the ideal here is that um, one way or another, it gets knocked off uh, the podium in standard and allows the price to float further downhill um, you know, closing in on whenever it rotates or gets banned. Um, but the foils are at, at 18, which is, you know, pretty pricey for a modern, uh, targeting foil. Um, that even if it also has legacy play, it's about the same point that I was selling collective brutality foils last week. Um, happily getting out, having gotten in around six. Um, but I'm, I'm still looking at Walking Bliss and thinking to myself, like, this could be a $30 or $40 foil. I mean, this is a small set rare. It's always played as a four of. It's played in all these different formats. Um, it's got open-ended synergy in decks like a Traxa in EDH. Um, so I went ahead and bought a few Russian foils just under 50 and then ran a survey on Twitter asking people what I thought that they thought the price of that card was going to be in in uh, a couple of years. And resoundingly, most people thought it was going to be less than $50, which blew my mind because I think it's going to be a 150 to $200 foil.
1: It's certainly making its mark on magic formats across the board. Uh, You know, uh, it's that that versatility has been has proven itself as quite valuable to a lot of decks in a lot of places. Um, I think that it could be one of those cards that really surprises people with how much it ends up being worth um, simply because uh of all of its various applications and its ability to work with combos um you know any infinite mana shenanigans any uh counter shenanigans it plays really well with so stuff like hardened scales uh the devoted druid we talked about earlier there's a lot of potential with that card because of um it's essentially a really a better triskelion uh in a lot of ways um so yeah i mean i i can totally see this see this getting there uh you know if you can managed to especially pick up some foils uh you know if we see vehicles wane and the pre- foil price on walking Blister starts dropping because um it's seen less play uh and it's also less useful in the format yeah there's some some definite value in there i think
0: yeah i mean at 18 i'm a little hesitant but in the 12 to 15 dollar range i'm all, i'm all in that's like buy 20 copies kind of thing <laughs> um, the the only risk I would I would outline for modern is that it's possible that the Urza's lands just get yanked at some point, whether it's because they redefine what's included in modern, um, or they get aggressive with the ban list just to keep things moving along. the the Reason I don't think that's a tremendous risk is because modern, by all accounts, is in about the best place it's been maybe ever right now. I mean, there's a lot of new brews that are on the scene. the The format is relatively diverse. Death Shadow Aggro is almost certainly the best deck, but it's not impossible to beat. And the the meta has the tools available if they really want to go after that deck. Um, so, you know, even if we see some culling, um, that is targeted at that deck at some point, maybe next year, I would guess they'll probably at least give it that long to sort itself out. Um, I think that this deck, um, you know, Eldrazi Tron like affinity before it is at that top, you know, tier one power curve, but not oppressive enough in the meta that it starts to, um, draw fire. Um, affinity has gone a long time with, uh, since its original affinity lands banning, um, back in the day um, without having any further cards taken away from it and you know, it, it looks like Eldrazi Tron is likely to sh- end up in a similar position
1: mm-hmm. all fair points um, okay I will wrap up our segment two with uh, reality smasher foils currently you can find these around 10 um, I think these are a pretty easy move to 20 uh, you know we've seen Eldrazi um, really show up in modern uh, in a lot of shapes um, since even since the banning the latest versions of an Eldrazi Tron uh, plays, you know, the Eldrazi Temple along with the Tron Lands. Um, and usually Walking Blessed the two, you get Thought Not or all that type of stuff. Uh, Reality Smasher is time and time again a four of in those decks. Uh, it gets people real dead. Um, it's a pain to remove. Uh, in fact, if they have if they have one path to exile left in hand, it doesn't even answer it. Like you can't get rid of it because you have to discard the other card, um, which can make it very difficult to deal with. It's just a really powerful card. It's a consistent four of in the Eldrazi strategy. Uh, It's the same block, same rarity as Thought Not Seer, which foils are around like 15 right now. So this already feels kind of underpriced. And I think as Modern marches on and Eldrazi doesn't go away, uh, there's a pretty, pretty easy double up on these foils here.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about this before the cast. I'm totally on board. I think Thought Not Seer foils are also probably solid targets, but given... Uh, you know, what you said about them being played in roughly the same proportion um, and in the same decks and in the same formats. Um, you may as well go for the cheaper one that for some reason, people uh, are less focused on acquiring foils for.
1: Hmm. Um. All right. So we are skipping, uh, skipping our metagame because there's nothing worth talking about. Uh, oh, we have a, a good one this week. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: It's iconic.
1: Icon. Yes. <laughs> so, so if you haven't been kept keeping up with the news, there was some information leaked on Wednesday night about the existence of something called Iconic Masters, uh, which everyone wondered what it could be and also whether or not that was a real name. We got the official announcement today that it is in fact real and the real name. Uh huh. So this is. Uh, They say it is a set containing an array of angels, sphinxes, demons, dragons, and hydras, alongside some of our favorite and most memorable spells over the game's entire history. Um, It's a master set. It's draftable. um, So we're pretty much expecting this to be in the the same type and, and shape of set as a modern masters or eternal masters. The question, of course, is what's in it they've got an interesting gimmick here in that they are trying to call back to the early days of magic, where you would show up to the pre-release with no idea what's in the set. Um, so they are not releasing any spoilers for this set at all. There will be a, HasbroCon, which was also announced, and you will be able to attend the pre release of Iconic Masters. Uh, I don't even like saying that out loud at HasbroCon. And their intent is that everyone sitting down to the pre release will have no idea what is in the set when they open the packs. Certainly an ambitious goal in the age of the internet. And given how frequent leaks are with magic sets, we'll see if Wizards uh, makes more of a point to make sure people keep their mouth shut about this. Um, so you know we're we're left kind of guessing like well we just had Modern Masters three Eternal Masters was last year and we're getting another Master set this year what could they possibly be putting in this of course everyone rushed to go oh my God reserve list cards I, I I don't see it happening I really really don't see it happening uh I mean if there's anything consistent with wizards it's they change their minds, but at the same time, the one thing that they have been the most consistent with and all of the time is once they lock down that reserve list that they have not budged and showed no signs of budging. So I don't think, um, that that's going to happen. And I would like to operate on the assumption that it is absolutely not happening. Uh, you know, where's, what's your take here?
0: So specific to that point, um, People need to shut that down and just accept that that's not happening. The There's a couple of great reasons for that um, that have been you know, discussed to death, but I'll <laughs> review them in brief. First of all, there's a thing called promissory, promissory estoppel um, that's present in US law that basically means that in indicating to people, vendors specifically, that we're holding this inventory over a long period of time, that they weren't going to reprint it, that they essentially have formed a contract with those vendors not to do so. And that any damages that somebody like Dan Bach at Power Nine that has, you know, half a million or a million or two million dollars worth of this inventory um, is going to take damages if they ever re- reprint it would have legal recourse. Um, that's not the the best reason they won't do it, but it's one of them. Another one is that uh, I, the flash in a pan effect of, you know, giving us all the dual lands and moxes and lotuses we could ever want um, is worth so much less to the brand. Than having unattainable cards, and I've tried to be, you know, I have this argument with people all the time about the value of unobtainium, and how having um, parts of your game that are are um, things that you aspire to but will never actually get your hands on or will only ever own in small quantity is a tremendous cornerstone in the equity of your brand. Um one of the things that has helped people convince other people that magic was of value or that they should be interested in it or kept people interested in it has always been the rarity of various cards and you really want if you're going to have rarity in your game you want to have some cards that are so rare that they are essentially legendary that they are almost to the point of urban myth and <laughs> you
1: could and- you could say that they might be iconic <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, they are iconic, but will not be included, which is one of the things which is funny here the uh the, that the most iconic cards being on the reserve list are not going to be reprinted here and I'll tell you uh, here's the best reason this is a uh limited release set that's l g s only which means it's a fractional print run compared to something like uh a false set release, and there is no way they would blow the brand equity of the reserve list on that kind of release that if you were going to do this, you would tease it out as uh, a series of master's cards or something over five years of sets, you know, give us, give us a fall set that has the dual lands, give us a fall set that has the moxes and you would tease it out for a long period of time. You do not need to include all of those cards in the set at once. And if you include any of them, This fall, then the value of all the rest drops through the floor as people start anticipating lower demand for the originals. And, um, you know, it's not going to affect the $100,000 flawless Gem 10 Alpha Black Lotus, but it would certainly affect a lot of the whiteboarded stuff from Unlimited. um, And... Uh, all the like 50 to $100, you know, 20 30 40 50 60 70 cards that are on the reserve list that are in that kind of $20 to $200 sweet spot are all going to drop right through the floor. So for all of these reasons, don't get your heads orientated towards the reserve list is about to be reprinted. Um, however, <laughs> the name, let's go back to the name. Iconic Masters made perfect sense as a placeholder because that's the theme that they settled on on the whiteboard in the discussion room when they were planning the set out, but how they got from placeholder iconic masters to, yep, that's the best name we can come up with. I, I have no idea as a branding professional that names like two or three companies a month. I-, I I can't imagine how somebody in the room didn't put up their hand and say, not only is that awkward to say, but it puts tremendous pressure on the set to include the most iconic cards which it will not because we're not going to break the reserve list. So there are all these other cards that are also iconic that we can include, but we're going to get as many um, criticisms as we are kudos for kind of splitting the list of iconic things down the middle, especially when we could have had some kind of cuter or more interesting title like MTG classics or whatever. Um, The... It's just super odd, awkward wording. Um, it's not nice to say it doesn't it's it's not going to be the kind of thing that you would make sense to describe in conversation like what's your favorite set of all time? Oh, I really like iconic masters.
1: It really doesn't flow off the tongue at all, right? Like it just, it, it's difficult to say out loud. And I think a lot of people listening probably haven't actually said it out loud yet, right? Like you've read about it, you've typed it, you've heard it in your head, but say iconic masters. Iconic is not a word that flows easily. And, and, um, I mean, compare that to like modern masters or eternal masters. It's iconic masters. Ugh.
0: It's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard series of consonants, but there's more to it than that. Conceptually, it falls apart. Modern Masters makes sense because it's the cards that you need if you're trying to master Modern. Eternal Masters follows that same pattern; makes perfect sense. What am I trying to master? A format called Iconic? What? What am I? I I have mastery over the most iconic cards in Magic. I mean, that's where you're, they're going, I guess. But that's a massive stretch.
1: Even if they had called it Icons of Magic, right? Or, I'm or, not saying that, that's not what I would pick, but at least Icons of Magic, Icons is a lot easier to say, and it's not, it, it just changes that dynamic just slightly that it actually yeah. like works.
0: I, I could live with Icons of Magic, I could live with MGG Classics, I could just, I could have just lived with 25 in Roman numerals, because it's the tw- this is the set they're putting out to preface the 25th anniversary next year. So, yeah, this
1: is the makeup for the 20th anniversary, which yeah, is FTV 20.
0: And that's the thing, FTV 20 was so poorly received. Because they announced Jace the Mind Sculptor and all of us lost our minds and went, holy shit, the EV of this <laughs> set is going to be off the hook. And then the rest of the set was garbage. And, it was so bad. <laughs> and, and nobody wanted the FTV Jaces because the foiling process was so bad. So the you know, the opportunity was here for this to be named something that really would have been iconic without having to spell it out for us <laughs> in, in quite such a way. But uh, let's talk a little bit about this description we got. So... It's an array of, and I quote, angels, sphinxes, demons, dragons, and hydras alongside some of our favorite and most memorable spells over the game's entire history. So, what that quite clearly says is that this is a set for nostalgia Timmy. So, it's if you're 35 now and you were in your early teens in the mid 90s, then, um, it's the cards you played at your kitchen table with your brother when you only owned like three starter decks worth that they want to put back in front of you. Um, so, one of the weird things here is that can you name an iconic Sphinx?
1: Um, I guess for me it's Sphinx of the Steel Wind because that I built a deck with that when I first was playing FNM for the first time in Zendikar, uh, but. It it's really funny because that's a tribe that feels like it could be iconic right like oh wow like red has dragons white has angels black has demons blue has sphinxes but there aren't any
0: well i i i, I had to look up the entire list of sphinxes because i figured i must be missing something well here's the thing they just reprinted consecrated sphinx and they could they they just reprinted the the sphinx of the steel wind so I don't think those are included, and none of the other Sphinxes even remotely come close to being iconic for me.
1: Now, I mean, get- e- even even if I even if I say I don't care that they were reprinted, they're still not iconic. Like they're they're like they're not. I mean, a Sphinx of the Steelwind was only the only people who know who that card is are people that bought the Reanimator deck like dual not dual deck but like the whatever they were called a couple of years ago uh, or people who played during that standard and the only people who know what consecrated sphinx are are people who play commander and even then it's still not an icon it didn't win any pro tours
0: Yeah, and and Hydras are not iconic either. I I had to go back to the list and I was like, the closest I could come to an iconic Hydra is like Rock Hydra. I guess at a revised is like a kitchen table card that people might recognize from that era. And Pelucranos was obviously a, a, a fairly iconic card if you started in and around Theros and that was like early days for you. And one of the interesting tensions here is to what degree is this set targeted at those of us that were playing in the mid 90s? versus people that started in other eras, right? Because what's iconic for me is not going to be what's iconic for somebody who started in 2006 or 2016. Um, and obviously, a lot of the people from the, you know mid mid 90s that are in their late 30s, early 40s, not so many of them are playing anymore. Like most of the p- the player base now, if you assume an 18 to 34 year old target market um are actually people that started at some later era that started like 2000 plus um, and missed the first five or 10 years of the game. And if that's the case, then you've got to imagine that this is some mix of nostalgia from some of those early to mid era ages. So not necessarily all golden era, but silver era and bronze era as well, right?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't get who this is for. I guess, uh, at least, I mean, th- you're right. The people who are going to want these cards, or, or the people who for whom these will be iconic, like, don't really care anymore, or they're not like the target market.
0: I. So, 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 so let me let me list this set of cards for you, and you tell me whether you agree that they are iconic or not. Cool. Play a little okay. game.
1: Now, I, now to be fair, I have been playing Magic since 94, so I got a pretty broad scope on this that fair not right. everyone will have.
0: That, that's fair. So, are the following cards iconic? Force of Will.
1: Y- yeah, yes. I'll give it a yes.
0: Sure. Except it just got a masterpiece in Amonkhet, and it was an EMA, so I cannot see them printing it for the third time in a year. So, moving right along. Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah. Sure. Except just was printed in EMA and FTV 20. So how could they possibly print it yet again? (laughs) Tarmogoyth?
1: Mm, Yep. I'll give you that.
0: Probably the most important green creature of the last decade. Uh, They can't print that again. They just literally just printed it in modern masters. And is there another green creature that's actually more iconic in the history of magic? I mean, maybe Mm. birds of paradise.
1: Yeah. Birds Uh, of paradise or land war elf, I guess. Sure.
0: Yes. Those, those two probably top it uh, some total, but not by much uh or fiction Mm,
1: I I will give you a yes but that's a pretty big asterisk I mean some people are going to consider that um iconic but if you only started playing even within the last 10 years I'm not sure
0: you really even know what that card is how about the following list speed things up a little winter orb control magic balance and brainstorm uh
1: for the most part, I think, I mean, it's, it's difficult to extend the title Iconic. I mean, Iconic in general feels like it should be very limited. But, I mean, there's certainly notable cards from Magic's history, sure.
0: Except they all showed up in EMA last year, so they're probably not in Iconic Masters. Um, ditto Serendipa free and Chrome Mox, um, which just got an MP printing as well. So I'll tell you what I think is in here. Um, the following series is almost certainly involved, and if it's not... Uh, Here's the problem. We're gonna we're gonna guess what's in it. Then they're gonna disappoint us, and then there's gonna be an uproar. Um, I can see it already. So, lightning bolt, counterspell, giant growth, healing self, and dark ritual.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the um, original one drop cycle. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's possible that if they really want to be sexy instead of exactly accurate, you replace healing self with swords to plowshares because it's swords to plowshares. Um, yeah, which frankly
1: I think they should do as well. He- I mean, and, he-
0: and healing self is garbage.
1: Yeah, it, that was the only one that was truly unplayable. And really, it should have been Threads of Plowshares in the first place.
0: Here's a long list of creatures from the mid late 90s to early 2000s that I think will be included. Um, and if it's not all of them, it'll be most of them Shivan Dragon, Sengir Vampire, Sarah Angel, Mahamadi Goblin King, Craw Worm, Juggernaut, Clone, Hypnotic Spectre, Flying Men, Force of Nature.
1: Uh, yeah, I like them all. I think those are uh, all very reasonable.
0: And then another list just like that White Knight, Black Knight, Lord of the Pit, Royal Assassin, Force of Nature, Lana Elves, Prodigal Sorcerer, Man of War, Trade Wind Rider, and Savannah Lions.
1: Uh Trade Wind Rider is probably the most stretch, um, only because that was really only kind of in one. Place. Tempest Era.
0: That's Tempest Era. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But you yeah, but still but still I mean, I agree with pretty much every other card in there, and they gotta fill the set out with something, so sure.
0: Uh, from the side of artifacts, Jester's Cap, Millstone, Howling Mine, Ivory Tower, Icy Manipulator, Xurinorb, Orb, Lotus Petal, Never Null's Disc, Masticore, Cursed Scroll, and Black Vice would be my targets.
1: Is Lotus Petal not on the reserve list? Nope. Uh, ben, sure. Mostly agree with that. Jester's Cap, yeah. That's not on the reserve list either, huh? Going to be a lot of people looking up cards to see if they're on the reserve list over the next couple of months. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, think, I think those are all the reasons cap's there. there. Oh, yeah, Land, land Cap, Right Sky Captain. Yep, no, Jester Cap, not on the reserve list. Okay. So, um, Channel Fireball, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah, certainly. certainly the, original,
0: the original combo, right? Um, yeah. n- not to mention, as if Ch- Channel right. Fireball, the brand, doesn't want that reprinted <laughs> and right. get to reveal it, which they oh. obviously get that. You know, LSV revealing Channel Fireball is being included in the set. Kind of seems like a slam dunk.
1: Yeah, I mean, is there somebody that takes bets on this? <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, stasis, Opposition, Capsize, Pyroclasm, Time Warp, Crusade, Bad Moon, and lamb tax.
1: Well, see, now I think you're getting a little less iconic, I guess, if that's what you're really shooting for. But I mean, that means you're running into exactly the problem of like, by definition, there can't be that many iconic cards. And also almost all of them are on the reserve list. So like you're really stretching. And I think these are all great choices for for the record, but you notice how much you're really kind of stretching the definition of the term. And the other thing to consider as you read through all these is who wants any of these like, <laughs> there's are they're 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 very notable magic cards, but there's nothing that people need here.
0: Well, and uh, did you just say that those are on the reserve list? Because none of those are.
1: No, no, no. I'm saying like you're as you're reading this list, and I'm going, sure, I, I I can see them reprinting these, but they don't sound like icons to me, right? They're just they're they're notable, but you're like you're reading these cards, and it's like none of these are icons. And this is exactly what you were saying is that all the true icons of the game can't be in the set.
0: Right. So here's some more things on the reserve list that people might not know is on the reserve list that they can't get. So putting aside things like Lotus and Moxes and whatever, they Pretty can't obvious, get, obvious. they can't get Vesuvian Doppelganger. That's on the reserve list. Mm-hmm. Mox Diamonds on the reserve list. Uh, Gaia's Cradle, Sl- Sliver Queen, Morphling, um, cards that were certainly iconic in their respective eras. Um, you're not getting any of those. But what you could have is, uh, a sweeper series. You could have Wrath of God, Earthquake, Pestilence, Upheaval, and Hurricane um armageddon's probably got to be in there as well um or at least considered um if you're going with you know things from a uh kind of mid-2000s era then things like mind slaver um Jite, uh, um uh and then the question is how far forward are you going like karn liberated cryptic command and emerald the eons torn were not in mm17 so they're fair game to get reprinted now um and I think we can easily argue that from anyone who's been in the game just for, say, the last 10 years, Karn liberated Cryptic Command and Emrakul would be as iconic as anything else.
1: Yeah, there and, you know, they're also I, – I, I mean, Karn specifically is an icon in the story. I mean, he's been around forever, even though the Planeswalker card is new. Um, Emrakul is also the – currently sort of the most dangerous thing that we know of in the Magic Universe, even if he's – she's stuck inside of a moon at the moment. Um the other card I wanted to point out, by the way, that's on the reserve list that I had to double check was Fast Bond. Sure. Which is a card that I was like, oh, I could see that showing up because we haven't had one of those in a while. Uh, you know, there's a good reason for it. <laughs>
0: so another slam dunk, Demonic Tutor. Um, yeah. Which oddly, oddly enough, is neither on the du- the reserve list um, and has only seen one printing in the modern era via the dual deck that it was in. Uh, uh, demonic versus angelic or something uh Angels and then
1: versus then, demons i think
0: yeah and then again in the anthology um, a couple of years back but demonic tutor is slam dunk for sure probably maybe with that same art um soul ring gets printed every fall in non-foil in the commander products but and we just got a masterpiece um but that masterpiece is already at like 10 or less copies uh, available on tcg player so maybe they just give us foil soul rings in in that set as well i mean is there a more iconic mana rock
1: no, I think that that's um a good place to put it, yeah, uh.
0: and the other I mean the thing here is that we've talked all these cards, but again, like you said, who wants these and more to the point from a financial perspective, how many of these are worth any money? I mean, some of these have never had foil printings before, so then you've got that like cube collector uh crowd that might step in to pick up some of the foils, um but that doesn't do much to help like the the rent the price of time warp if you reprint it like which is gonna crater completely um, there are a couple cards I haven't mentioned yet that uh, do need a reprint aren't on the reserve list and are very expensive um, notably Rashad and port and mana drain didn't make it into EMA um so both of those could be two of the money cards that anchor the set
1: mm-hmm I think those are are reasonable. And Rishadon. again, not only as a card, but as a as a location in, a, in the story, so that's going to help considerably. You know, if you expand your definition of of iconic to include flavor and not just card impact, uh, I think you can start to get a better feel for what they have in
0: mind. So one of the interesting things here is uh, the way they're doing this tournament. So my read on why it's in September when the release is until late November um which is quite some time 2 months be- between when the cards will be revealed and I did get one of the the staff to confirm uh from Wizards that after that you know blind pre-release um they will release the full set list so we're going to have the set list for like 2 months leading up to the set's actual release which seems like a lot of hype bleed to allow for if you're trying to sell it <laughs> um so This is interesting as an MTG finance play is uh, if you live in that area, getting your tickets and you've got to book them online, um, notably, uh, and soon, I think you have to put your email address in now you're going to get notified when the tickets become available. I'm assuming it will be a limited uh, event, like maybe a few hundred people tops. Um, And it's in the the American Northeast. So I think it's in Rhode Island or something where Hasbro headquarters is.
1: Providence, right?
0: Providence, right. Uh, So... If you can make it to Providence, you get to know, potentially, before almost anybody else, what's in the set and what's not, and you can make moves accordingly. Um, that might actually be worth a visit, <laughs> because if everybody assumes Mana Drains in the set or Rashad and Port, then you can expect that the prices on those cards are going to head south in the interim, and if you show up and do a survey of the room in round one and uh, make note of the fact that those cards are not in the set... Um, you can start buying them up before uh uh, the social media engine kicks in, and two or three hours later, the opportunities have dried up.
1: Yeah, this is um, it definitely seems worthwhile if you can be get there to be there, uh, and really not play in the event. You know, show up with a laptop and a, uh, you know, a battery and a good a good mobile hotspot, and really. Really, if you can get your friends to fan out and figure out what's going on as fast as possible, uh, would help considerably.
0: Well, and the other also, the other
1: Sorry, sorry on, the other one. Well say well, the, the other th- thing I'm looking forward to is uh, the guy who prints out counterfeits of reserve list cards in the modern border uses, you know, the moto art uh, that they have the rights for and shows up and claims that he got him in his pool and starts posting them on, on social media. And you know the hour of everyone freaking out because they think the reserve list got repealed.
0: <laughs> it seems like an inevitable uh, Reddit post that morning for sure. The oh, yeah, I mean it'll the, happen and it's going to be great. <laughs> the other half of the opportunity though is just trading for these cards and buying them all up because whoever has copies of those cards coming out of that tournament gets to own the market for two months. Yeah. But that's an unprecedented opportunity, especially for some of the foils. Like, Let's say that there's foil port in this set or foil Mana Drain. You get to own the international market. It's not like they're doing one of these pre-releases in every continent or even every country. It's just the one in the U.S. And the rest of the world doesn't get any of them. So you can sell these cards through to Japan, like foil Mana Drains and ports, sell them to Hire Yuya. That buy list number is going to be astronomical for the first six weeks.
1: That is a real good point.
0: So, I mean, You're I'm go- I'm in Toronto, Canada. It's not going to be cheap to get down there, but I'm actually seriously considering it.
1: Now, are the are the tickets like reserved? Like, is it a lottery to get a ticket, or do we know?
0: Well, I guess that depends how many of us jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> the I, my guess is that they'll put they'll use a standard ass t- ticketing system that will have a limited inventory. They'll set it at three hundred or five hundred or whatever, and it will have the potential to sell out. And so, if we crash that crash that website on the morning that they announce it, then um, you know it'll be a lottery in the sense that whoever gets online earliest that morning and gets tickets gets gets tickets.
1: So I almost wonder if it's worth buying it, even if you're not planning on going.
0: Well, I mean, and what given the the logic I've just laid out, what ma- what buyer in the you know northeast segment of the U.S. is not going to be present?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, every major vendor is going to be trying. To to show up and at
0: least have a representative on the floor, right? Yeah, because hmm. they have, they have a vested <laughs> inter- interest. Not only do they need to for sure confirm there's no reserve list involved, um, which is a major issue for many of them, um, but they want to know what's in and what's out so they can make moves accordingly.
1: Yeah, I wonder. Uh, I wonder if Wizards is going to kind of quietly tell a lot of their like advanced stores, you know, a day, a week, a month, or something early. I mean, it's not unheard of that that kind of information transition occurs uh you know with some of their their bigger stores
0: so the other question that people were throwing around on social media today about this was uh will they be bold enough to put the entire set in the old frames like either mock them up like alpha beta frames like i guess like beta frames no probably not alpha because it's the wrong alpha is actually for people that don't know a totally different sized card um, has different corners than the rest of magic and so is not technically tournament legal, um, versus cards of the modern era. But, um, would they do an Urza's saga kind of like silver era magic border or just original beta borders? Um, and, you know, Jason Alt brought up a good point on social media, which is like, how iconic is it if they're changing the art? Because they announced that a lot of these are going to have new, exciting art. And certainly from, <laughs> the perspe- from the perspective of like looking at some of these old cards, a lot of them have brutal art. I mean, they didn't have the same budget. They didn't have the same pool of artists. They didn't, you know, some of these cards that we consider iconic, like, for instance, the art on Ancestor Recall, that is brutal, ugly art that I wouldn't pay somebody to to give me as an alter. Um, and yeah, that card's worth several thousand dollars, but that's because of its history in the game, etc. It's not because the art's gorgeous. So, right. better better art on a lot of these cards is, to me, as a collector, desirable. In fact, in terms of wanting to have um, good aesthetics when I play, but is it iconic if you get rid of the original art and don't give me the original border? Like, if, if it's a modern border with the hologram and new art for, say, Demonic Tutor, how iconic is the card now?
1: Well, I, I, personally thought the original art on Demonic Tutor is still pretty cool. But I mean, I agree with you completely that for the most part, a, a lot of that art, I mean, I like stasis as well, but I know a lot of people do not think stasis is, is good. Um, and you're completely right. Like you're, you're erasing what part of what makes these icons, um, when you do that type of thing. So it's. It, this is a. T- they've really backed themselves into a corner with this. I mean, there's just I just don't see how they produce something that isn't just sort of almost embarrassing on at least a couple of fronts.
0: I I, I predict this is what's going to happen. We're going to get people are going to show up at this tournament. We're going to get all the, you know, the flurry of uh, posts to social media that morning showing us what's in and what's out. Um, it's going to be. Some pleasant surprises, some really cool art, and a bunch of other decisions are going to sink like lead balloons, and the net brand equity is going to be neutral. Um, And the problem is there have been so many instances, you know, the quality of standard play, the diversity of standard play um bannings of cards uh how poorly received the masterpiece frames were in Ket. i mean there's a lot of missteps lately they don't really want another misstep in 2017 so for everybody's sake i hope that this set is you know blows us away uh versus expectations but i'm not holding my breath
1: yeah it is pretty funny when you consider like how bad the um how bad the masterpiece series went over like mm, you better hope your iconic master set does better than that because damn i mean, well, I mean nobody the, really so few people like those
0: one of the funniest uh, posts i saw today about this was somebody posted like a mock-up uh of iconic masters the box and it was red with <sighs> the joven from homelands this yep. is the legend for three and two red that taps to destroy a non-creature artifact for three and three red and the art on that card is just brutal, like, so ugly and silly. And somebody, like, mocked it up as the the packaging art for Iconic Masters. And it's, like, it epitomizes my, my worst nightmare when it comes to the set.
1: <laughs> I will say, as a um, longtime fan of the Old Border and the, uh, someone who is very agitated by their refusal to make use of it. Um, I really hope they put these in old borders. If they put these in the modern borders, I feel like that calling this iconic masters and not putting reserve list cards in it is already, it's almost something of a slap in the face. But if you're going to go and then not print it in the original borders, like what, This is not an icon anymore. And with different art, like, oh, this is iconic masters. We gave you Siobhan Dragon back, but it's not in the original border. It's brand new art. Like what the hell is an icon about this card? Like this card is garbage. Like the only thing that was holding this card together was nostalgia, but there's no nostalgia in what you're putting on the table here. So uh,
0: there's also uh, a real time to
1: use this and, and, and really make people happy.
0: Well, and keep in mind that this, as, you know, uh, a limited-focused master set, is in theory built for limited play. And a lot of these cards... Like, for instance, I think you could argue that Leviathan is an iconic cre- kitchen table magic creature from back in the day. Um, I love that card. Yeah, and the art's amazing. But that card costs 11, <laughs> and there's no way to get it into play. <laughs> so I I don't understand how you could possibly include cards like that. It Like, for instance let me put it this way for people that don't understand original mag- magic sets were not designed to be drafted because drafting didn't even exist yet. And it was some time before they figured out um, how to make sets draftable. Even in the Urza saga era, you had like pestilence at common, which if you've ever <laughs> played with that card in a limited format, you would know what a mistake that is because if you open pestilence, if you're, if you drafted all white cards in pack one, you might still switch to pestilence in pack two because it's just so powerful. Um so a lot of these cards aren't were not designed for limited format and it would be really hard to mash them together and make a good limited format and if you err on the side of making a great limited format then I think that you have to leave out a lot of the icons um and I think that resolving that tension is going to be very difficult and I don't know how they're going to do it they
1: they've, they've... They back themselves in the corner. I mean, there, there's really no other way to describe it. Is there's no, I feel like there is not a way to produce something that's going to match the brand that they're selling us and also be enjoyable to play and also make anyone want to pay for it. Right. And so let's, and let's say you go, oh, well, I mean, it's not about money, right? It's not about, the value of the set you know you mpg finance people everything is money to you this is not about that okay fine sure who the hell is going to want to buy it anyways even at 2 dollars a pack like you're just ruining your brand equity at that point like here's all the icons they're garbage they're not worth anything nothing here has any value because we are charging nothing for the packs you know there's just there's there's like no price point that's really great for this either because if it's expensive it's like why am i paying Ten dollars a pack to open chivon Dragon, and if it's two dollars, you're saying, why do I care about these cards? Everything in it is completely worthless. But, and it's going to be like ten dollars, by the way. It's not going to be super cheap.
0: Oh, it is ten. They've already they've already confirmed that. Um, oh, they
1: did confirm that. Oh, yeah, it's, well it's then you just it. let me go on and on about that. Yeah. without No, no it's, pointing it it's <laughs> no,
0: I think it's I think it's a valid point because one of the things I was going to say is that um they could have gone the other way. They could have gone for the PR win and and treated the set like a loss leader, um and made the packs two ninety nine like they were in the nineties. And then you can, you can be a lot more Timmy with what you include because it's not such a feel bad if the shivan that you get is the best art shivan ever and it's in the original border. I mean, if you upgrade the art, but give us the old borders, then for a lot of players, that would be really cool because a lot of the players don't own any, any beta cards at all and have never fondled an original magic card. And, um, you could have gotten there down that path with a product that I think would have been Built a lot of brand equity because it would have been kind of like the thank you for twenty-five years of being a customer. Many of us have spent tens of thousands of dollars on this game. Um, it's not crazy to to put out a product in your twenty fifth anniversary that plays plays that up a bit and and rewards the players for their commitment. Um giving them ten dollar packs means that if they if you do include Rashad and Port and Mana Drain foils, those are gonna be astronomical. But it's, it's more of the same problem that we see with Masterpieces, which is that when you open a Masterpiece, um, you win the lottery, but you're turning the packs into lottery tickets because a lot of them are going to probably end up in this set like they were in Modern Masters 2015 where a lot of the value was in the Mythics and not the Rares, meant that you could have a really brutal box um, full of basically nothing. And if you open a bunch of Shiv and Dragons and the frame is modern and updated art, I don't understand how anybody's going to be excited about that.
1: No, it's <clears throat> it's ugly. Um, you know, we have this long list of cards here too. Uh you went we went through some of them, a couple others um that we could touch on really quick. Um let's see, there were so they might bring back some of the Chronicles legends, um, like uh dakin Blackblade, and all those types of guys. Um, that cycle from Legends to set. Uh, some were reserved, some were not. So there's some they can reprint and some they can't, but, um, I mean, those are sort of iconic in a, in a funky way. Um, I mean, that's an option. Mind twist could show up. That's not reserved list. Uh, and that hasn't gotten reprint in quite a while. Uh, let's see fork maybe, um, guy's lead was a really cool card. So, but I mean, none of this has any relevance to us from a cost perspective, right? Like yeah, I
0: mean, mind twist makes sense because they can't it can't be him to Turok because again that was an Eternal Masters. I mean, one of the things that seems so weird about this is that Eternal Masters ate up a lot of this this intellectual property. So you know, where's the disconnect there? Like they didn't see far enough ahead to know that they were going to want to save some of those cards because Eternal Masters didn't necessarily need to have things like balance and control magic in it, right? Um it they could have saved that for this
1: it also almost makes you wonder if they knew this was coming when they were doing Eternal Masters. Like Eternal Masters seems like in retrospect a terrible idea if you knew that this was coming, right? Like why would you why would you put out Eternal Masters? That was this year, wasn't it? No, year, Modern yeah. Masters 3 was this year. I don't know. It just seems last crazy summer. to do Eternal Masters the summer before it's you do Iconic Masters. It's basically
0: fourteen months between the two of them. Maybe sixteen months. Right? Because it was like a midsummer release, and then this is getting released in November. So yeah, it's about it's about 16 months between the two. Um, even Mind Twist, we just got we're we one of the only half decent looking Amon Cat masterpieces is a Mind Twist, right?
1: Uh yes, yes.
0: That one with the shadow pulling the guy's soul out through in the desert or whatever. It's one of the only ones I right. liked. Yeah. So anyway, um, I think they've set themselves up for failure. Um, if they knock it out of the park, all the power to them. I hope that's what happens. Um, I believe that there's a version of this set that will please, uh, people. Um, it's interesting to me that they focused on the angels, sphinxes, demons, dragons, and hydras angle. Um, I mean, that really speaks to the casual player and makes me wonder why they didn't just go with casual masters, but, or kitchen table masters would have been a really cute name that would have like resonated in the community. Um, but we'll see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I, I Kitchen Table Masters, that would almost be insulting. <laughs> All right. Well, we've uh we've done this to death at this point. Uh so let's uh let's move on with our lives here. Uh, James, where can our listeners find you over the next couple months if they want to hear you rant about this set?
0: <laughs> you guys can always hear me ranting on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com, including the Modern series I just wrapped, and next week I will be uh, putting out the Amonkhet Digging for Dollars piece, looking for hidden gold and that set.
1: All right, and I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Right every Monday over at M T G Price. You can find me on the Cartel Aristocrats webcast, most Monday evenings live. Um, and I'm on MTG Fast Finance, which is what you're listening into. And if you enjoy playing Magic, check out Scry.land. We just updated with a new table feature that I think people will find really useful with more uh features to come. So find magic, check out scry.land.
0: I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering.
1: All right. I enjoyed our chat this evening, James. Certainly uh, always fun to complain about everything. Uh, Thanks for joining
0: me and I'll, uh, I'll see you next week. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.